I want you to know that your current circumstances don't have to define your entire life. I've seen strength and resilience from some of you that inspires me. In fact, I've drawn strength from watching many of you. I've seen so many of you rise up from the darkest places and that gives me great hope. But I realize many of you aren't there yet and that's okay. I want to do everything I can to help you get there. Hello, and welcome to Letters from the Lunchroom, a podcast by Communities and Schools of Mid-America. I'm your host, Victoria Partridge. Communities and Schools is a nationwide nonprofit which connects students and their families to local resources in order to remove barriers so that they will have greater success in school and in life. During this podcast, we talk to people who have a relationship with our organization. From students to staff members and alumni to volunteers, we know that people who connect with nonprofits have a story that led them there, and we want to know that story. Stay tuned as we head into the lunchroom. Hi, and welcome to the lunchroom, Chris. How are you today? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing really well. Um, so since I did our intro a little bit different this time, would you please take a moment and introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Chris Ayers. I'm the site coordinator at Garden City High School in Garden City, Kansas. And how long have you been there? This will This will be my sixth year that I'm going into. Awesome. Um, did you work at any other um, schools as a communities and school site coordinator before you went to Garden City? No, no. I had taught here in Garden City for a couple of years and uh, had been a substitute teacher for several years before that. But uh, this this school that I'm at right now, it's the only school I've been with with communities and schools. Okay, so that's interesting because you kind of gave us a little bit of background, and that's exactly what we came for, but I do want to go into it in a little bit more depth. So I want to know, let's go with, um, when was the very first time that you heard about communities and schools? Let's start there. Well, the first time I'd heard about CIS was when I was working as a uh, substitute teacher at GCHS, and um I just happened to walk by the the CIS office, and I think I think it was the very first year that they had been there. Um, I, you know, I didn't, and I didn't really know too much about it. I I knew some of the very basics of of what CIS does at that time. Um, it wasn't until later on that I, you know, really discovered what it is that we do. And so you mentioned that you had been um, a substitute teacher, et cetera. What was it that made you decide to join communities and schools and to kind of move away from that teaching route? Well, you know, I had, uh, I'd been pursuing a, a career in education for a while and, 
I, when I finally got my first teaching job, uh, it was, it was teaching middle school history. And I realized pretty quickly that it wasn't quite the fit for me that I thought it was going to be. And so after a couple of years of that, I was, I was actually looking at, at possibly changing career paths and, and moving out of education. And uh, it was about that time that I saw that CIS had an opening. And so I researched it a little bit and figured out, you know, what it, exactly that would entail. And I realized pretty quick that that job was going to be the job for me. So you said that you were you were already considering leaving the education um, area, but were you considering going into social services? It was that was one area that I had considered. Yes, um, what I you know I I really wanted to get out of the classroom. It, it just the being in the classroom was not the fit for me that I thought it would be, and uh, so. I, I knew though that I knew that I had to do something where I could be of service to the community. Um, that's always been something that I've aimed for, and I think it comes from my upbringing. Uh, my family, just about everybody, has a career that that's some kind of service field. Uh, a lot of them are in education. Several of them are in medicine. Um, my, uh, my grandfather was a police officer for many years. And so service is kind of just ingrained in me. And, um, I, I knew that I, whatever I did, I had to find something where I would be able to serve my community. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so since you are going into your sixth year there at Garden City High School, um, I want to take some time and talk about some of your experiences that you've had there. Um, let's go and let's talk about this current, no, 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 hold on. Scratch that. We'll talk about your current school year here in a second. Let's go back to the beginning. Whenever you first became a CIS site coordinator, um, what was it like? How long had, you said communities and schools had only been there for about a year. Is that correct? Well, by that point, it had been there for about three years, I think. Oh, okay. And so was it already pretty established? It was. I I was very fortunate to walk into a program that, that had been established and yeah, I, I wasn't there even at the very beginning of the school year. The the previous site coordinator had uh, had started out that year and already had a lot of things in place. And so I was able to just walk right into it pretty seamlessly um, and pick up where she left off. Very nice. And the students, were they pretty accepting of having a male site coordinator versus the female site coordinator that they were used to? They were. I think, I think for some, it was an adjustment. Um, I did have the benefit of knowing several of the students already and, and they who knew who I was. And, you know, we had, we had already somewhat developed a relationship with, with at least some students that were on my caseload. And, um, you know, they were able, I think, to, uh, to calm some of the fears that some of the others might've had, um, you know, when I first walked in, but I don't recall having really any major issues with with students um there might have been one or two that were a, a little leery at first but overall i i think the transition went, went really well and um correct me if i'm wrong but garden city high school is a pretty large school right it is it is it's one of the largest in kansas how many students are there at that school this year um 
you know, on, a, on average, we have about 2,100 students at the start of a year. I oh don't, goodness. I don't think they've done their, uh, their enrollment check yet for the year to, to count everybody up, but that's, <laughs> well, that's I'm not going to data check is. you. So, <laughs> okay. um, so, <laughs> so you're the only CIS site coordinator at that school, 2,100 kids. Is that ninth, 10th, 11th, and 12th grades? Yes, it is. Oh my goodness. Okay. So there's got to be unique things that you do then that are different from what other site coordinators do that, you know, who don't have 2,100 kids in their school. Um, mm-hmm. do you, are, like, are you aware of those things that you do specifically because there are so many students in your student body? I think what it, it comes down to for me is um, I, I have to, be very aware of how I plan my time. And um, especially when it comes to meeting with students on my caseload, if I'm going to get to everybody within uh, a month, like, you know, like is the plan, I really have to kind of plan that out in advance. Um, You know, who I'm going to speak with when and, and, you know, know where I'm going to be able to find them and, uh, it just kind of takes a little bit of behind the scenes planning to, to pull it all off, but definitely, uh, you know, it's, as far as our, the, the, as far as the tier one activities, um, there are, uh, a lot of logistics that go into just about anything that I do, uh, just because generally there's going to be a, a large crowd there. Mm-hmm. And so I do want to clarify, um, just for people who are listening, when you say tier one activities, that that means whole school supports that we provide. Um, and sometimes that does take the form of activities, but it also does um, take the form of literal supports such as basic needs, et cetera. So can you give us some examples of some of those whole school slash tier one supports activities that you provide and how you actually facilitate that for a student body of 2,100 kids? Sure. Well, the biggest thing that we do every year is future now finance. And, Mm -hmm. um, we, we do that with our freshman class every year and we spread it out over two days. Um, we have a a session running every hour of the, the school day, both days and the freshman students, they all have to take biology. So they all come out while they're in their biology classes. And, you know, some, uh, some sessions will have over 115, 120 students out there at one time. Um, other sessions are not quite so large, but it it's definitely a very involved process to you know make sure that everybody is there when they're supposed to be. Make sure that uh, all of the volunteer spots are covered. Um, it, it takes a lot of planning, uh, several weeks in advance to to be able to pull that off. We also, in the last couple of years, we have started bringing in older students, juniors and seniors um, to, to help assist with it. And they get to, to see the, they get to see that program from the other side. You know, they, they came through as when they were freshmen and did the, the uh, financial literacy simulation. And then they come back as juniors and seniors and they can help other students with that and they can help freshmen as they, they go through that. So, um, it's a big process. It's a big event and it involves a lot of people in the school. 
Well, I was going to ask how, like, do you have any secrets to getting the sheer number of volunteers that you would need? But then you kind of spilled the secret. You guys are utilizing these older students, which I think is brilliant because not only does it help you on your end for getting the people that you need to help run this event, but also it's giving these kids this great opportunity to experience the program in a different way and then also have another opportunity to be, um, you know, responsible and, and be good role models, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's really, really smart mm-hmm. because you've, you've probably well, have you. <laughs> no problem. Um, I mean, if you have sessions running every, um, what did you call it? Like every, uh, you didn't say every hour, but every class period for two days, mm-hmm. I mean, you're probably looking at 75 or more volunteers that you need or volunteer spots that you have to fill. Yeah. 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 Man. So um, at your school, do you guys have any tangible needs, like basic needs that you also take care of? Well, we take we take care of uh, providing clothing, food, um, school supplies. That's something I, I give out a lot of school supplies every year. Um, hygiene products. They students know that they can come to me and, and get that kind of stuff if they need to. And, you know, we open it up to everybody. Uh, they don't have to be part of the CAS caseload. It can be anyone in the school that can come in and just get whatever they need and not have to worry about, you know, how they're going to pay for it or where they're going to get it. But how do you manage that with, so I want to know a couple things. How do you manage that with, with 2,100 kiddos in regards to when they can come by and get it? Do you, you, I, like, I don't even know how you do that. But then I also want to know is how do you get those items? Do you have some really great community partners who provide them via donations? We do. Um, we, we do get donations from community partners. We also, um, you know, sometimes I, I, I'm fortunate that I have a very large budget and I can go out and, and purchase some of that stuff myself. Um, I, I, keep things stocked pretty well, uh, you know, most of the time so that, uh, I've got whatever they need. And I tell students, if there's anything that I don't have and they need it, I'll go get it. But as far as, as how that works, you know, students will come to my office, they'll, um, you know, they'll, they'll say what they need and, and I'll get that for them. And they can come in at any time during the school day that, that I happen to be there in my office. Um, I, I just let them know that, you know, whatever they need at any time, I'm open. They're yeah. they're welcome to come in. So there's really not a, a rhyme or reason to it. Um, it's just a matter of when students have the need and the opportunity to to take advantage of that. Interesting. And so, what are some of the um, the the specific risks that you focus on at your school there? Well, we have um, Garden City is is a community with a, a very large immigrant population. Uh, we have a, a pretty large refugee community. Uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of people who have just recently come to the United States, and they're they're working on establishing their lives here. Um, as a result of that, you know, a lot of times they don't have the resources they need or um, have the ability to get the resources they need. They may not even know where do they, they need to go. And so um, that's, 
that is a, a really big need that we have in our school. Um, we also, uh, you know, just from a school perspective, uh, we've been working really hard on improving attendance uh, for, for a time. Truancy was a big issue in the school, but, but it has it has definitely improved significantly. And, uh, you know, I, and I can't claim credit for all of that. Um, you know, I, I played a role in that to be sure, but, but a lot of that also falls on the, the school staff. They've done an excellent job of, uh, uh, of improving that. And so those are, I mean, those are some of the, the really big things we we've also worked on, uh, tackling, substance abuse and bullying and, and, you know, other, other issues that tend to crop up mm-hmm. in high schools like that. So whenever you, you mentioned attendance, um, I know that you and I, we were both recently at the summer engagement conference. Did you happen to attend that seminar session that Stanley Taylor did? No, I didn't. So I was, uh, I was doing a little research on the program that he runs, which is through Culture Shock KC, and they have these. Um, it's called uh, Silent Disco, and they're like headphones, and you put them on, and then everybody that puts on these headphones, they're hearing the same music at the same time, and you can also mm-hmm. put like um, speakers through it, like a, a presenter. Um, but they have a program that's called Attend Dance. And so what they do, because Stanley is a site coordinator with us, but then also does this on the side, that they have created this attendance program that this, it's like a silent dance party is an incentive for students. I just thought it was really cool. So heads up if that you want cool. an idea to pass to your yeah. school. Um, that's that's I, a great idea. Yeah, they had some of those headphones out um, at the summer engagement conference and I I put some on and uh, I didn't take them off for quite a while. I <laughs> had a lot of fun. <laughs> Um, so as we're talking about supports, what I'd really like to know is what are some of your favorite supports that you have provided to students and or their families? Well, one of my, one of my favorites, um, and you know, this is, I guess this is something that you probably wouldn't see in a lot of, uh, CIS programs, but it's something where I felt I, something I felt I could uniquely contribute on. Um, I work with uh, the the local National Weather Service office in in Dodge City, and um, we we provide information to students on how to stay safe in you know in a variety of severe weather. Um, we're, we're out here in Western Kansas in an area that gets a lot of tornadoes. We get a lot of blizzards. Uh, we get a lot of dangerous weather and, and there's a lot of kids that don't necessarily know what to do. And, and especially for those who have moved here recently and, uh, you know, they may have come from a place where they never see snow, but all of a sudden they're stuck in a blizzard. And so it's important for students to know how to stay safe. And so I have a, a group of students that, um, we provide that information uh, as a group. We we present to classes. We go to elementary schools and pre- present to younger kids. We present in the in the high school as well, and uh, we teach other kids about how to stay safe in severe weather. Uh, and that's one of my my favorite. And that and that's I say that's um, unique to me, and, and that's simply because. I have somewhat of a background. At one point in my life, I considered becoming a meteorologist, and so I had I. I've studied meteorology some, and um, I, it's something that 
I've been able to take to to my students there at GCHS and and uh, give them an opportunity to give back to their community through that. Oh my gosh, I think that's so rad on so many levels. So one, I think it's brilliant that you use this past experience, interest, et cetera, that you had and have in meteorology to bring that into your current role. I love that. I see that time and time again with site coordinators. And I love that as part of this this agency that we work for, that we are able to really express our uniqueness and that we believe that individuality brings forth those strengths, just like you're showing. And so that's one thing I want to lay out there. But two, I think it is so amazing that you do this weather safety program because, man, at first glance, it may seem like, yeah, it's weather safety. We live in the Midwest, but you just got done telling me how one of the most unique aspects of your school was that you got a lot of refugee families and immigrants that are establishing themselves in the Midwest for the first time. Mm-hmm. And for them to know how important it is to be aware of the weather that we have here in the Midwest, because it is very extreme, is honestly is. probably life-saving in some cases. Like, I know that's maybe a little bit, you know, extra for me to say, but truly, like, you do not want people to be out there driving whenever storms, when there's tornadoes coming, or, yeah. you know, being prepared and having things in their vehicles when there's blizzards coming, because those are really serious. So I applaud you. I think what you're doing is amazing. Well, thank you. Um, we do need to wrap up the first part of this episode, but before we go, I was wondering, would you mind sharing with me and the audience, um, what would be maybe like your favorite success story of a student or a family that you've helped? Well, I had a student who, um, she came to me one day and, um, she walked in my office, closed the door and said, I just found out that my dad is being released from jail today. And I said, you know, I asked her, is that a, a good thing? Is it a bad thing? She said, it's definitely a bad thing. And she, oh, no. she opened up to me all about the different ways that her, her dad had been abusing her. And so of course I, you know, I'm a mandatory reporter. So I, I, called that in to uh to dcf so that they would be aware but the more she told me about her situation the more i realized she cannot stay in this home any longer and so she had she happened to have gotten into some trouble for truancy and and had to go before the truancy court and she had a a lawyer appointed for her and her her lawyer she already knew some of this also but but she and i talked and 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 the lawyer said that she would petition the judge to uh to have this girl removed from her home and placed in foster care and it, it was one of those situations you know i i don't take that kind of thing lightly because i you know i believe the the best place for, for most children to be is with her parents. This was a situation where her dad had beat her with a hammer, um, had held her, had held her up against the wall, choking her, uh, with his hands around her neck. Um, her life was genuinely in danger. And so, um, you know, through working with that attorney, we, we got the court to remove her from that home. And, um, she, she spent out the rest of her 
childhood until she graduated from high school in foster care. And, and she, she got a great foster mom. She was able to stay in garden city. So she didn't have to leave her school and her friends. And, um, you know, she was able to, to stay there and, and graduate. And about a, a year or so after she graduated, she sent me a note and she, you know, she put a lot of the standard stuff that a student writing a thank you note to a teacher or a, you know, a caregiver would, um, would write. But at the very end, she put a, a PS on there and she said, I would not be here if it weren't for you. And so I, I hung that up on the wall next to my desk and, you know, and anytime I'm feeling a little discouraged uh, about something, I, I look over there and I read that note because I realize at that moment that I actually saved somebody's life. Um, and, you know, in the course of doing my job, I, I literally kept somebody from dying and that is that is one of the most rewarding things ever for me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, oh Chris. <laughs> that oh my gosh. I I don't even know how to react to that. I oh. I'm literally like I'm obviously crying like over here in my office just crying um I'm so grateful for the work that we do um I am too and I know I know sometimes the work that we do um is uh surface level but oh my gosh we have so many instances where we are literally coming in and changing lives and sometimes even saving lives and I'm just always grateful that we are able to do this, that people support us in doing this and that they allow us to continue to do this. So thank you, Chris, for doing that, for being there in the front lines, for doing what needed to be done and for being there for that student. Uh, It's, I mean, it's, it's really one of the greatest joys of my life to be able to do that. I'm so grateful that you shared it too, because I had no idea. And I don't know when you and I would have sat down and (laughs) <laughs> had it not been for this podcast that I just would have been like, Hey, tell me your favorite success story. I don't know, but that this is amazing. I hope tons of people hear this because I think it's a story that really needs to be shared. Yeah, I think so too. Okay. So we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to clean up my face because I'm crying and then we'll be back with a second serving. So stay tuned. All right. Welcome back. As part of our show, we ask each guest to write a letter to the students that Communities and Schools serves. The only guideline they are given is that it must come from the heart. We also warn them that they will be asked to read their letter aloud during the podcast. Chris, are you ready to read your letter? Yeah. Please go ahead. Dear students, I just wanted to take a moment to tell you what a privilege it is to be able to serve you. Your creativity, sense of humor, and overall passion for life is inspiring to me. But I also know that life isn't easy for teens. Some of you face struggles that I know all too well because I've been there and have experienced it too. 
Some of you face struggles that I have no comparison for, but I want to listen and learn and help you however I can. There's a lot of stress that comes with being in high school. Learning how to manage time and balance priorities, working with various teachers and students who sometimes you just don't like, dealing with the demands of parents, working in a job for the first time, learning to drive, while also balancing homework and school activities. All of that is hard. All of that brings stress to anyone. And then for some of you, you also have to worry about whether or not there'll be food to eat. Who will watch your younger siblings? If your parent will have a job. For some of you, you face bullies at school, abusive parents at home, and people who hate for no reason who have made you a target. All of that, all of that can be traumatic. I want you to know that your current circumstances don't have to define your entire life. I've seen strength and resilience from some of you that inspires me. In fact, I've drawn strength from watching many of you. I've seen so many of you rise up from the darkest places and that gives me great hope. But I realize many of you aren't there yet and that's okay. I want to do everything I can to help you get there. Let me tell you some things that have helped me on my journey. Focus on the positive. I get that this can be hard to do when things are really bad, but that's when it's most important. If you can be optimistic about your future, even just a small part of it, the chances of that future actually happen happening become greater. Care for yourself. Take time to do things you enjoy. Be with people you care about. Have some times when you don't have to worry about the difficulties in your life. Take care of your health. Eat well, exercise, and get plenty of sleep. You have gifts, talents, and abilities. Cultivate them and use them. Figure out the things that you really enjoy doing and learn everything you can about them. Think about how they might translate into a career someday. High school is a great time for this. Explore different opportunities to find out what the best fit is for you. Don't give up. Things will be hard. Adversity will come your way. It can be tempting to give up, but keep fighting. You can do this. Good things will come if you keep working at it. And don't be afraid to ask for help. This can be hard to do, I know. I really struggle with this one a lot. So often, my pride gets in the way of asking for the help I need. I want to do everything myself and not depend on anyone. But if we're honest, that's not how life works. We all depend on each other, and there are a lot of people who want to help you out and see you succeed. I and my, my colleagues at Communities and Schools are definitely among those people. If you're in one of our schools, come talk to us. If you're a Buffalo at Garden City High School and you're listening to this, come talk to me. My office is upstairs in the library and I want to hear your story. I want to help you on your journey so that you can be the best version of you possible. Your high school years can be among the best times of your life. If they haven't been so far, it's not too late to change things. There's always hope for a better tomorrow. I know this because I've experienced it myself. You're capable of great things. Go out there and achieve them. Sincerely, Chris Ayers. Oh my gosh. Chris, that's amazing. Do you have a background in writing? I don't. I had a great writing teacher in high school, though. Uh, my senior year of high school, I had an English teacher. I didn't like her very much back then, but <laughs> I recognize now that she really taught me how to write. Yeah, that was so well done. Um, gosh, I feel like I, I need to unpack so much from that, but it was it was brilliant. You had so many great pieces of advice. Um, just well, thank you. like 
applauding you over here. Um, so, so tell me, what did you feel as you read that aloud? I, I felt hopeful. Um, you know, I, to, to be completely honest with you, I had some, some rough days this week and, um, you know, there were, there were some things that had me discouraged. And so as I read that, you know, I was given that advice to students, but I was really able to turn that right back to myself. And, and as I wrote that letter out, um, you know, I just, as those things came to me, as I was writing it, it was almost as if I was, I was saying those things to myself to, you know, to help lift myself up. Um, Mm -hmm. So I, I hope that students can get the same out of it. Yeah. I love that you, you shared that you had kind of a rough week. I mean, I hate that you had kind of a rough week, but I'm glad that you were honest about it. Um, I think that it's really important for people who um, are struggling to see other people who are honest um, whenever they've had struggles to know that that isn't forever, that they're, they're temporary and that you can persevere and be resilient and overcome those struggles. And I know that for a lot of the students that we help, that we take on a lot of different, um, features for them. And one of them is a role model. I, I look at all the site coordinators that work with us and I think you guys are definitely really strong role models for these students. And so I think it's really, really cool that you admitted that you had kind of a rough week and that these are the things that you reflect on that help you kind of have that hope and get back that inner strength to keep on keeping on. And I think one of the, um, one of the most powerful things for uh, a student to hear is, you know, when, an adult figure opens up and says, I've, I've experienced what you're experiencing. Uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I've had some issues in my life with, uh, dealing with anxiety and depression and those sorts of things. And I, I had to, at at one point in my early thirties, I had to realize that I couldn't, I couldn't continue on that path on my own. And I had to get some help to, you know, to sort some of that stuff out. And so, well, you know, I, you know, I, I wish that I had never experienced that. I am grateful that I'm able to use those experiences to help students who are going through those same things. And, you know, and as if I have a student that I'm working with that is, that is dealing with that kind of stuff, of course, I'm not a, a mental health professional and, you know, and I want them to get the professional help that they need. But I think sometimes it helps for, a student to hear somebody say, yeah, I've been there. I, I know what you're going through. And, um, you know, if, if my experiences can help out students, then great. Mm-hmm. And it helps, it, it helps build that connection for so many reasons. Um, one, you know, you're being truly authentic, but also, um, like you were saying, helping them know that you have, had similar experiences that they have had. Um, because I, I think that sometimes, well, let's just say often, a lot of times, um, people will think that they're the only ones going through whatever they're going through. Maybe it's just Mm -hmm. because they themselves as an individual don't believe that anybody else could feel the same way. Um, or maybe it's because there's a generation gap or whatever it may be. 
And so I think that it's really important. And also, um, we're talking about mental health right now. And there's a huge stigma against mental health. And I see that that stigma is thankfully um, changing and that it's dissipating Mm -hmm. and that more and more people are talking openly about their mental health and about challenges they've had and how they have persevered and been resilient and sought help. And whether it's therapy or a change of lifestyle or medication and that it's, it's really great because I think that the more that we break down that stigma, the more people will get the help that they need. And then they'll be able to start living these lives that they truly deserve without having the challenge and the barrier that mental health, um, can really bring to somebody. Yeah, absolutely. (sighs) Okay. Well, I feel so many things. (laughs) This has been a really, really interesting conversation. Um, You did give a lot of advice to the students, but if they decide that they have short-term memory and they can only take one piece of advice with them, what do you hope that that one piece of advice is? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a tough question. Um, I think what it really, you know, I I think the most important one is probably to not be afraid to ask for help. Um, I, you know, as I said in the letter before, I struggle with that. I I don't want to rely on anybody but me. And I, I know a lot of students that are that same way. Um, you know, they, they really struggle to, to want to tell anybody what's going on in their lives because I, you know, whether it's because they, they're afraid they might be perceived as weak or, you know, they, they're embarrassed by what they're going through. I, I don't know. I, I suppose it's different for everybody, but that if you, if you don't ask for help, if you, you know, try to deal with everything on your own, eventually you're going to burn out and you're not going to be able to, um, you're not going to be able to take care of yourself in the way that you need to. And we're not made to, to, uh, deal with everything on our own. We have to work with other people. We have to work as a community to solve our problems. And often that starts with, with dealing with our own situations, you know, by getting help from other people. Mm -hmm. And, um, you and I both know that if we can't fix it ourselves, if we can't provide the person who needs the help with the resource or the advice or whatever they may need, then we likely know somebody who can, because that's a key point right. of communities and schools. Yes. All right, Chris, we are going to take another quick break and then we'll be back with the final installment of this episode, which is our extra credit portion. So hang tight. And we are back. Are you ready for some extra credit questions, Chris? Yep. Let's go ahead. All right. Your first one is, what is one of your favorite parts about being a CIS site coordinator? Oh, it's it's definitely working with the students. Um, I, I enjoy being around these students. I enjoy getting to know them. Uh, they are, are such wonderful and interesting people. So that is, hands down, that's the best part. 
Perfect. Okay. And on the flip side, what is one of your least favorite parts? Well, I think it, it, it's, it's gotta be the logistics that come with big events. Um, that is, that is the part that doesn't come naturally to me. And so I, you know, it, it requires quite a bit of extra effort on my part. I, I love the events themselves. You know, when, when we get to future now finance, for example, and, you know, and, and things are running and we've got the students out there, I enjoy that, but all the work up, you know, leading up to it, I, I don't necessarily enjoy that part. True. And that's fair. Okay, so your final extra credit question is, if you could pick one superpower to have, what would you choose and why? Well, I I really uh, thought about this for a long time because um, I, I knew this question was coming. <laughs> and uh, I am actually a big comic book nerd. And so okay. I, you know, I've been reading superhero comics since I was a little kid. And, and I've always been a huge fan of Superman. Uh, so I thought for a while I might go with, you know, just all of Superman's powers. But but the more I thought about it, the more I think I, I would want to have a Green Lantern ring. Um, Green Lantern, if, you, if you're not familiar with him, he his powers, all his powers come from this ring that he has. And he can use this ring to basically will anything into existence. So, you know, I've, if there was something that a student really needed right then, I could use my ring to just will that in the, into existence. Or, you know, if I just wanted a cheeseburger, <laughs> you know, I could do that also. So I think definitely a Green Lantern ring. Oh, I love that. Okay. Well, uh, with that, we're going to wrap up this episode. Um, huge thank you to you, Chris. You made me laugh. You made me thank cry. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Um, for more information on communities and schools of Mid-America, please check out our website at cismidamerica.org. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on social media at CIS Mid-America. Thank you all for joining us on this episode of Letters from the Lunchroom. I'm your host, Victoria Partridge, and until next time, class is dismissed.